We're uh, going through the Gospel of John, and we uh, finished the uh, the eighth chapter last week. We'll uh, um, take the last couple of verses of the chapter eight to uh, kind of set up the things that take place in uh, the ninth chapter. Uh, John chapter nine is a is a, a great um, telling of the of an event that happened in Jesus' ministry that shows the character and the nature of God. John's gospel is different from uh, the other uh, gospels. Uh, in uh, a couple of respects. One is his was an eyewitness account. He gives us some details that none of the other gospel writers give us. It was written about, uh, it was the last of, uh, uh, well, we don't know which of the, there were two books that were written last. We don't know which one was first. One, uh, both of them were authored by John, the apostle. One was the gospel that bears his name and the other is the book of Revelation. We don't really know which one was uh, was written first. Most people assume the gospel was written first, uh, but there's no, no way to identify or, or prove it one way or the other. But we do know that it was written somewhere after 90, 93, maybe 94 A.D., which is about uh, 60 years after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, long after any of the other uh, epistles were written or the, the, um, uh, any of the other letters to the church. And as such, John gives us some, uh, some details about how that Jesus would debate with the religious leaders. He would debate with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and prove to them that he was the Son of God, not only by his words, but also by his works. More so than any of the other gospel accounts, it shows us his the time that he spent and the resistance that occurred from the religious leaders. And even though Jesus would tie them up in knots with, uh, with in these debates, uh, show them through signs and wonders and miracles, they still refused to believe. Uh, that may have something to do, the reason that John may have been inspired by the Holy Ghost to write in that manner, was because in, uh, at the time that this gospel was written in the 90s, 90 AD, 93 AD, somewhere around there, Gnosticism was uh, one of the predominant uh, doctrines or ideas in the, in the Christian world. Gnosticism had pretty much uh, de- uh, denied everything even up to the point where Jesus was born in the flesh. Many of the Gnostics said, well, Jesus was just a fable. Uh, the idea of him being a perfect man was a good thing, but, but he didn't really live. He, he's just a fictional character and so forth. So that may be part of the reason, if not the reason, why John spends so much time talking about those who saw Jesus, saw those who talked with him, those who debated with him, those who had miracles in, uh, performed in front of their face and still refused to accept the truth because that's what many of the people in the church world were doing in that day. So in, uh, uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus has, uh, um, well, I hate to say concluded. John chapter 9 is kind of an intermission in the debate. But he has uh, uh, identified himself as the Son of God probably more, as clearly, maybe more clearly than any other place. We'll pick up in the last couple of verses of John chapter 8. Um, Jesus said unto them, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this is the same I am that spoke to Moses out of the bush, the burning bush, where Moses said, uh, the, the bush, God told him through the burning bush, go tell uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? They don't know you. I don't even know you. Who am I going to say sent me? And God answered saying, tell them I am that I am has sent me. So this was something that the Jews recognized was God naming himself. I am that I am means I am whatever I'll need to be for my people. And when Jesus calls himself the I am, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. If he had said that, then he would have just been talking about longevity. He would have been talking about an eternal existence. But when he said, I am, he's identifying himself as God, the very one that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Well, of course, this was good news to the religious leaders. Verse 59, it says, then they took up stones to cast at him. 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Where it says that Jesus hid himself, I want to make sure you don't get the idea that he's hiding behind columns in the temple trying to sneak out. Where it says he hid himself from him, it means some kind of supernatural work because he passed through the middle of them and they didn't touch him. But now in John chapter 9, it tells us he's not hiding. He's not, you know, slinking away. He's walking out because his work is finished there in that part of the debate. And he's going to the next thing that God has for him to do. John chapter 9 verse 5 or verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, in other words, as he's passing through the middle of them, going outside of the temple, the the outer court of the temple, it says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, you can see very clearly Jesus is not trying to sneak out quietly. He's not tiptoeing around, hoping nobody sees him. He's walking out normally, casually, and he sees this man that's born blind. Now, when it says that he saw him, it indicates that he must have stopped. He must have given some kind of attention to him because the disciples then asked. The disciples aren't the first one to see this guy. There's something about this that I think bears, uh, bears note, and that is, notice how Jesus handled things when people were trying to kill him. He's not wringing his hands saying, oh, I don't know why everybody's against me. It just seems like the whole world is against me, and here I am trying to serve God. Oh, Father, I just don't know why this is happening. This is just so unfair. He's still in the midst of the people being against him, the people persecuting, the people rejecting him. He still has time to look for somebody else that needs help. I wonder if that's an, uh, an instructive thing for us in the way that we ought to handle difficulty and trouble and when people are against us. I see most people, most Christians, when they have run into trouble, they just ball up like a, like a cocoon, in a cocoon, you know? I mean, they just want to shut everything out and feel sorry for themselves and have themselves a little pity party on their own. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus passed by. He's on his way out, knowing that these guys would stone him if they could, and he stops to see somebody he could help. Now, the disciples asked the question, that's very interesting to me. He said, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They know what the problem is that caused this man to be, to be born blind. Sin is the problem. What they don't know is whose sin caused it. But they're right on target when they said sin is the problem. They're identifying sin as the problem. They just don't know whose sin. Now, there was a, there was a, um, uh, a theological thought, a philosophical thought, among the, the people, many of the Jews, about reincarnation. You remember when Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 16, who do men say that I am? Some said, uh, Peter answered and said, well, some people say that you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the other prophets. Well, how is that possible? How could Jesus be one of the other prophets except that reincarnation had worked its way into Judaism? And so when they asked who, did, who sinned, this man or his parents, that, that may refer to the idea that maybe he sinned in some past life and that's why he's having trouble in this one. But Jesus answers the question. Now, commentaries aren't very good on this because most people, most commentaries will tell you that Jesus' response shows that God made this man sick. He made this man blind so that Jesus would have somebody to heal on this occasion. Well, wasn't that big of God? I mean, it's not like there's going to be somebody that's blind anyway. God's got to make sure that a man spends all of his life without sight so that Jesus would have somebody to heal. Folks, that's ridiculous. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus answered in their question. He answered the question, who sinned? He said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. It's not individual sin that always causes sickness. It's not individual sin that always causes tragedy. 
Now, some people seem to have the idea, and some people have even worked this idea into faith circles, that if you have some kind of trouble in your life, it's because you've done something wrong. And the devil's always quick to jump on that. He's there to tell you, yeah, it's your fault. You've done something wrong somewhere. And so sometimes people will come up with this idea, maybe there's some secret sin in my life. Folks, that's the stupidest thing you could imagine. Aren't you there when you sin? How could it be secret? Yeah, but David said, cleanse me from secret sins. Yeah, what was he looking for? He was there too. What's he saying? He's just saying, Lord, I want my heart to be pure in everything. If I've done something wrong and didn't know that I did it, forgive me. Well, you've got the Holy Ghost. The Bible says your conscience will show you when you've done wrong. So if your conscience isn't telling you that you have done something wrong, guess what that means? You haven't done something wrong. So Jesus answers the question, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. That's the end of the question. That's the answer. And then he goes further and tells what he's going to do. He says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. Now, you may notice that that's not the punctuation that's in the King James, if you're reading along with me. Now, where did the punctuation come from in the King James translation? The translators put it in there. In the original text, there is no punctuation. There is no uppercase and lowercase letters. There's no capital letters as we would understand it. It's all in the same uppercase letters without punctuation. So that leaves it to the translators to to put the punctuation in there along with verse designations or divisions as they understood two things. Number one, the language, and number two, the character and the nature of God. Every translation is based on two things. One is the translator's understanding of the language. The second is the translator's understanding of the character and the nature of God. In this case, they missed the character and the nature of God completely. I'll prove it to you. Notice Jesus said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. Now, he's just said in chapter 8, he said to the Pharisees, he said, I'm going somewhere where you can't go. And that's when they asked the question, is he going to kill himself? He's talking about going somewhere we can't go. Is he talking about killing himself? What is he talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about going as the substitute for mankind's sins. So he says there is a nighttime coming. That night is coming where no man's going to be able to work. There was a three-day period where no power of God was in evidence on the earth. That was when Jesus was in the heart of the earth. That's when he was paying the price for sin. But until he goes to the cross, it's still daylight, spiritually. It's the daylight so he can do the works. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus heals the man. So, therefore, the works that he does, the works that God sent him to do, were healing works. If God made the man sick and Jesus healed him, then Jesus is working contrary to the will and the plan and the purpose of God, which the Bible says never changes. In other words, if God made this man sick, then it's the will of God for him to be made blind, right? And the will of God never changes according to the scripture. That means if Jesus heals him, he's working contrary to the will of God, which is impossible. Furthermore, are you familiar with Acts 10.38? Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Well, we know that to be true, don't we? Who went about doing good. What did he use that Holy Ghost anointing and power for? Who went about doing good and healing. Who did he heal? All that were oppressed of the devil. That means everybody that Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. Did he heal this guy? Then if the Bible is true, 
That means this guy was born blind because of the oppression of the devil. And even the disciples understood that. They knew that sin was the problem. Well, sin doesn't come from God. Sin comes from the devil. Right? So Jesus answers, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. Can I ask you a question, folks? What scriptural reference does he have for that? Show me an Old Testament scripture that says that the Messiah, or anybody else for that matter, will spit on the ground and make a clay mud pack. I guess we could call this diversities of operations, couldn't we? Here's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost in diversities of operations because it's different than he's done with anybody else so far. Now, you'll find that there are three other people that Jesus, or three people total, two other people besides this guy, that Jesus either spits on or spits and touches them. Three people. What scriptural evidence do we have for that? What scriptural reference do we have for that? What scriptural pattern do we have for that? You don't have one. So he's obviously being led by the Holy Ghost. He just said that he's working the works of him that sent him. So God must be directing him on how to do this. So when Jesus had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. In other words, he smeared the little mud pack on his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And the man went his way, and therefore he washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? So we know what he was doing at the temple, don't we? He's sitting there begging. Isn't this the guy, the blind beggar that was at the temple? And some said, Yeah, that's him. But others said, Well, it looks like him, but maybe it's not really him. But he said, the man said, It is me. I'm he. I'm the one. Therefore they said unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. I love that. A man that is called Jesus. Made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. I went to the pool of Siloam. I washed this stuff out of my eyes. I don't know where he went. Then they brought him to the Pharisees. Uh Uh-oh. People wanted information, and he gave them the information. Now they're going to bring him to the Pharisees. Always got to take it to the religious leaders and find out what they think about the work of God. I mean, after all, a miracle's not enough. We got to make sure we have the stamp of approval on this. They brought to the, brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath. Now, folks, realize it's the same day that Jesus has just had this discourse with them. It's the same day where he's just said, I'm of my father. I am that I am. That's me. You're of your father, the devil. You say you're children of Abraham, but Abraham wouldn't have done to me what you're trying to do to me. You're trying to take up stones to kill me. You've made plans to kill me and and strategized on how you're going to do it. How is that following God or following God's purpose? If I haven't told you the truth, then tell me where I was wrong. 
And, of course, they couldn't answer him. He said all these things the same day, just a couple of, uh, maybe an hour or two before. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, verse 16, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? What did Jesus do to violate the Sabbath day? What did he do? There was another occasion where Jesus healed on the Sabbath day where he set a a lady free that was bowed over together. It was uh, in Luke chapter 13. She's in the synagogue, and he sets her free, and he answers them and says, don't each one of you take your ox or your ass away from the stall to water them? And ought not I have set this woman free who's a daughter of Abraham, who the devil has bound low these 18 years? Isn't it right that I set her free? You provide for your animals. Isn't it right for God to provide for his people? Jesus didn't do anything to violate the Sabbath, but he sure did violate their rules. And that was the problem. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, meaning others of the Pharisees, said, well, wait a minute, hold on. How can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? Some of them are starting to get a glimpse. Wait a minute, how can a sinner do this kind of stuff? And so there was a division among them. Then they said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that has opened thine eyes? And he said, Well, he's at least a prophet. He doesn't know who he is. He couldn't see him. So he says he's got to be a prophet. In other words, God's got to be with him and working with him somehow. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They're trying to argue that this guy never was blind to begin with. Everybody sees this guy every day at the temple. When he got, when he was healed and his eyes were open, that's when people were saying, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that's at the temple? Isn't this the beggar that's at the temple that everybody knows in his mind? And then other people said, well, I don't know. He looks kind of like him, but we can't really be sure. And he said, yeah, that's me. Not good enough for the Pharisees. We don't believe you ever were blind. Go get your parents. So they bring the parents who had nothing to do with any of this stuff. They just know who their son is. And they asked him, verse 19, saying, Is this your son who you say is, was born blind? Is this your son whom you say was born blind? Is this your son whom you say was born blind? You know what's amazing? What's so funny is you hear people say, Well, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. If you won't believe without one, you won't believe with one. Because believing is about something that happens on the inside, not about something you see with your physical eyes. That's the biggest lie in the church. If I could just see a miracle. You'll see so many people that discount miracles, say they don't believe in them, and they'll say, if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. Liar. You wouldn't believe if Jesus appeared and said, yeah, this is a miracle. Verse 19, and they asked him saying, asked them, the parents saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's old enough to answer for himself. Ask him, he'll speak for himself. Here's why they said that. Verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, 
he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is old enough, ask him. He's of age. He's a man. He's mature. Ask him. Let him answer for himself. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. I love this guy. Now, what does he know? Really, what does he know about Jesus? We know that he knew that it was Jesus that made the clay and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash off. But that's all we know of him. They asked him, who do you say he is? He said, well, he's a prophet. I think that's pretty safe to say. Only a prophet could do something like this. And now he's heard them arguing back and forth about Jesus being a sinner, knowing full well that Jesus performed a miracle on this guy. Not because he was there. He didn't credit the spitting in his, uh, spitting on the ground and making the clay. He just came from the pool of Siloam having washed this stuff out of his eyes and now he sees. It wasn't lightning that flashed from the sky. He didn't instantly get his sight so that he saw Jesus in front of him. It was the first image that he saw when he began to see, received his sight. It wasn't anything like that. So now they ask him, what do you say of this guy? Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered. Here's what the man said. Here's what the man that was formerly blind said. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. He didn't get into some theological argument with these guys. He said, well, I don't know what what you're talking about, sinners and all this kind of stuff, but I know I was blind and now I see. That's kind of hard to argue with. But it doesn't stop the Pharisees. Then they said unto him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Now this guy's getting ticked. So he says, he answered them, I've told you already and you didn't hear. Why do you want to hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? I love this guy. He gets his sight with boldness, doesn't he? Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. By the way, that's what Jesus had just discussed with him about where he came from. He said he just came from his father. That's why they didn't know where he came from, because he was from God and they weren't. They were of their father, the devil. That was what chapter 8 was all about. So we don't know where this guy is. We know where Moses came from and God spoke to him. But for this fellow, we don't know where he came from. And the man answered and said unto him, why, hearing is a marvelous thing. I love this guy. I mean, he's into it now. He's figured out who's who. He said, well, isn't this a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is? And yet he has opened my eyes. Where he is literally means where he came from. Doesn't mean where he is at the present moment. He said, it's amazing that you don't know who sent him or where he came from because he opened my eyes. Now, we know that God hears not sinners. This guy's going to get theological on him. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that is born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Folks, that's pretty good theology. Simple, common man understanding, and true. Way too deep for the Pharisees. The religious people, the learned people, the ones that have been to the best seminaries, the ones that have got all those degrees behind their name. And notice what they do. Notice what their response is. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Who 
do you think you are? We've been to the best universities. Do you know the degrees we hold? We're the ones that know what's true. We're the ones that know the law. You don't know anything. And they cast him out. Verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. By the way, they did the same thing to Jesus. They wouldn't let him stay either. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? We don't know that he recognized that it was Jesus. He hasn't seen Jesus. He's only heard him. He knew that it was a man named Jesus that did it, apparently because he heard people calling Jesus by name or heard Jesus' name referred to when Jesus spit and made clay of the spittle and put it on his eyes. That's how he was able to answer the crowd after he received his sight. What happened? A man named Jesus put this stuff on my eyes and told me to wash off in the pool of Siloam. But we don't have any information as yet that he's ever seen Jesus. So we don't know that he knows he's talking with Jesus at this point or not. So he says, who is he that I might believe on him? I'm willing to believe on the Son of God, but I don't know anything about him. And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. In other words, you're looking at him. Here's the information, the first information that he gets, where he can see him with his own eyes, that work at least, that this is Jesus. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Look at how easy it is. Look at how easy it is. Do you believe on the Son of God? Tell me who he is. I will. Just tell me who he is. It's me. Good enough. You just brought me back my sight. I'll believe just about anything you tell me. Now, folks, remember Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. What works did he work? Were they works that caused this man to be born blind from birth? No. Nope. Jesus, who came to the earth to do the will of the Father, who always did his Father's will, who he said, my meat, that which sustains me is to do my Father's will. I only do my Father's will. The work that he did was to bring the man his sight. Now, the rest of it gets really good because this is talking about the debate again. The debate takes up again. When Jesus is is talking to this guy, this is not a private conversation. This happens outside of the, 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 the outer court of the temple, too. He's still at the synagogue. He's still around the temple, not inside because they cast him out. But he's close by. And so it says, Jesus said, for judgment, verse 39, for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see. And that they which see might be made blind. Now, clearly he's talking spiritually here. He's saying the people that are ignorant of spiritual things, I came so that their spiritual eyes would be opened. For what purpose? To see and know who the Son of God is. But those who claim to know and be learned in these spiritual truths, like the Pharisees, they claim to see, but they're the ones that are really blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words. So he's still in the middle of the crowd. He's still there. Some of the Pharisees are following him. And so the Pharisees heard these words and said unto them, said unto him, are we blind also? Are you talking about us being blind? Notice Jesus' answer. Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. If you were blind to spiritual things, if you didn't have the training that you have, if you didn't have the knowledge of the the law of Moses, if you didn't have the knowledge of what the prophets said about the Messiah coming, then you would be born blind and you wouldn't be responsible for your sin. But 
You say, now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Look at the character and the nature of God. Uh, One of the interesting things about the, the gospel of John to me is that John spends so much time talking about Jesus with the Pharisees. Way, way, way more than any of the other gospel writers. It's almost like the whole book of John is divided into two things. One is his debate with the Pharisees and the other is his private conversation with the, the apostles. That's what makes up the majority of the gospel of John. Now, he sprinkles in there some of the miracles and some of the things that Jesus did to show the people, to prove to the people that God was with him and so forth. But Jesus spends so much time talking to the, to the Pharisees, so much time talking to the religious leaders. And again and again and again, they come against him. Again and again and again, they refuse to accept the words that he says. He speaks the law of Moses. He tells what the prophets said. And they refuse to hear that. And they come back with some kind of other, um, well, answer that just keeps the debate going. They're not interested in the truth. Now, folks, you need to understand something about religion, and that is religion, a religious attitude, a religious spirit, whether it's on a person, whether it's on a group or an organization or whatever, people that are, that are bound by and controlled by this stuff, they don't want to know what the truth is. Now, what, what the problem that causes for people like us is we think everybody wants to know the truth. We think everybody wants to know that Jesus heals. We think everybody wants to know that God's good and God wants to bless you and God wants to bring good things into your life and he only does good things. Chapter 10 is where Jesus is going to to tell them the difference between what the devil does, kills, steals, and destroys, and God only does good things and brings life and uh, life everlasting and so forth. Jesus is going to tell them all the difference about these things. And we think, at least I do, I assume you're, you're in the same boat, we think everybody wants to hear this. Man, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I thought everybody would want to know about this. I came out of the Baptist church. I thought all my Baptist friends would want to know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know what I found out? They not only did not want to know about it, they didn't want to have anything else to do with me. I finally asked one of them. It was the youth pastor. I finally asked the youth pastor. I said, what if what I'm telling you is true? I mean, just what if? What if I'm not possessed of the devil like you think? Hey, that was their position. I'm glad the Baptists have changed their position a little bit over the years, but that was their position. If you spoke in tongues when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, you were of the devil. I said, what if I'm telling you, what if what I'm telling you is true? You know that it's in the Bible. You know that they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2. You know that the early church spoke in tongues all the way up through the epistles. You know that took place. You've got one little scripture that you try to hang your hat on that says, here's why it passed away. They take that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says, or chapter 13 rather, where it says that the tongues shall cease. It says tongues shall cease. Paul said that they shall cease. The problem is, he said at the same time that tongues will cease, knowledge will cease. Now clearly that's already happened for some Christians. But he's talking about a point in time. Well, when will knowledge cease? Knowledge will cease when we're caught up into heaven to be with Jesus. Knowledge will cease at the end of the church age. Why? Because knowledge will be superseded by truth. Paul said, we see in part and we know in part. We won't know in part when we get there. So knowledge will cease. Man's understanding, our limited understanding, our limited knowledge will cease at the point in time that we're caught up into heaven to spend eternity with him. And that's when tongues will cease. You won't speak in tongues in heaven. So tongues will cease. But the Baptist told me, well, see, tongues passed away. Well, when? They passed away with the last apostle. Says who? Well, that's just what we believe. 
Well, what if I'm telling you, what if what I'm telling you is real? What if what I'm telling you is available for everybody? That's where they shut down. They wouldn't even answer. They wouldn't even consider that it was true. I learned a valuable lesson. Valuable lesson. I thought that everybody wanted to know the goodness of God. They don't. They don't. So many people get discouraged. We've had so many people here at church. They'll get something and they'll go tell their friends. Maybe they come from another church and they'll get healed or something. They'll go back to the church where they were at. And the people will try to talk them out of their healing. And they'll come back so disgusted and so frustrated and so depressed. It's like, I just knew that everybody in my church would want to know. I just laugh. That, well, you learn like the rest of us. Not everybody wants to know. It's amazing to me, people that will fight the truth just so they can say their beliefs are right. Now, for me, that means I've got to always be checking up on what I think and what I believe. Because just because I know the truth in one area doesn't mean I'm right about everything else. Amen? Anybody that thinks they've arrived, anybody that thinks they know it all, the Bible says they don't know anything like they ought to know yet. So we should constantly be willing to throw out everything that we think we know when we see the truth of the word. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that we're going to come upon some new truth and all of a sudden it's going to transform everything that we've ever believed. Now, the Bible says that we learn precept upon precept, line upon line and precept upon precept. In other words, knowledge is based a little bit at a time. One bit of knowledge adds to the last bit of knowledge you had. So I don't expect to see some scripture and have my eyes open and say, wow, I've been wrong about that healing stuff. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to find some scripture and say, wow, maybe we haven't really been made righteous after all. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that we see some scripture and say, well, maybe not, God's not good all the time after all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the small adjustments. You know, when you're tuning your radio, you remember the old time radios is not so much this way anymore with cars and the way they work now. But the old-time radios, just a little bitty twist of the knob would make all the difference in the reception you get. Sometimes you need to make those little bitty adjustments in your beliefs. Sometimes you need to make those little bitty adjustments in the renewing of your mind and what you think on and what you meditate on. And it will make all the difference in receiving the things of God. Make all the difference in the world. I love this story about this guy. This guy goes from zero to a hundred Almost instantly. I'm talking about the blind man. Once he finds the goodness of God, he's willing to jump all the way in the deep end. That's the way we ought to be. This idea of easing yourself into the things of God, forget that. Dive in. Because God's only good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were sent to do the will of the Father. You always did good things. You always did that which blessed You always showed the character and the nature of the Father. And Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You still do the same thing for us. We can still access you by faith, just like people did when you walked here on the earth. Thank you, Father, that you withhold no good thing from your children through Jesus because we're in him. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.